0: First, we'll continue with the sermon. Again, the sermon is based on our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. So you can follow along at home, or you can follow along in your worship folder here. We'll begin with this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Water is vital for life. Water is both vital in keeping us alive and allowing us to live. Water, as most of you know, makes up most of our bodies. It's what allows our bodies to simply survive and carry out all those little functions on cellular levels and all these involuntary things that allow you to just exist. Water also then allows you to live. Because you are alive, it allows you to think and to speak and to act and to do and carry out life. Water is vital for life, so without water, there is only death. Jesus, towards the end of his earthly ministry, had a situation where he asked a question about water to the chief priests and the elders of the Jewish people. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem to visit the temple and when he got to the temple he found that the temple courts were filled with people buying and selling things now they ought to have been there to worship so Jesus flips their tables over you can imagine there was a little bit of a disturbance that day questions so Jesus comes back the next day and the chief priests and the elders of the people so the religious leaders at the time go up to Jesus and they're like Why did you do that? By what authority? Who who gave you the right to come into this temple and start flipping tables over? And Jesus gives his reply in Matthew chapter 21. He said, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. So This is John the Baptist, his baptism he was doing at the Jordan. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They could not reply. See, they could not reply because if they said that John's baptism was from heaven, they'd be proved wrong because they didn't accept John and his baptism. So they'd look like fools. At the same time, they couldn't say John was from heaven men and had nothing to do with God because the crowds, the people, welcomed John as a prophet, as somebody who had come from heaven. So you he were afraid of the people. They didn't want to go against popular opinions. They were stuck. So this, again, this is the reply of the leaders, the religious leaders of the people. They answered Jesus, we don't know. How was the reply. We don't know. Again, not because they didn't know. This was in regards to faith and how they viewed John and Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So The reason chief priests and the elders, the people, rejected John the Baptist and questioned Jesus is because they rejected Jesus as the Savior. And so they rejected John and his whole message about Jesus, being the Lamb of God and John's message of Repentance that went along with his baptism. Chief priests, elders of the law, rejected that. They rejected faith, and instead they were living their lives. How they thought they could earn salvation was by keeping God's law themselves. So not by faith, but by their own works. A similar showdown occurs, so that was at the towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Similar thing happens right before Jesus begins his ministry. So in Matthew chapter 3, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John the Baptist. So again, group of the religious leaders, different folks, but same idea. Religious leaders came to John to be baptized. And this is John's reply. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. So, viper is a snake, and brood is like offspring. So, it's basically saying, You offspring of snakes, which, if you are familiar with scripture, is basically John saying, You guys are children of the devil. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, John says, You guys are children of the devil. And he continues, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Pharisees and Sadducees, just like the elders and the teachers of the law, believed in themselves, their own efforts to be good in God's eyes, denying the Savior, denying faith. So John did not baptize them when they came to be baptized, because they weren't really there to be baptized. in know faith and trust in this, and see it as valid. Instead, he warns them which is in keeping with what he was preaching out in the desert, the call to repentance. So he warns them. He says, you are in danger of this coming wrath. Your belief in yourselves will only lead to God being angry with you because you will still be stuck in your sins. You'll still be wicked and evil in his eyes, and so he will punish you with death and hell. So this belief of Pharisees, Sadducees, elders, teachers, the law, high priests, all those guys. Think of it like this. You take an empty cup to a hardware store and you go to one of those displays with the faucet and the cabinet, fancy looking stuff, right? you put that empty cup under the faucet and you turn it on. Keeping in mind, the display is not hooked up to a water source. You shut it off and you pretend like you're drinking it. There's no water there. There's no water there. You can pretend all day long, I filled up my cup with water. It's not going to do anything. There's nothing there. This is the same as putting your hope in yourself that you can be good and righteous, that you can solve your problem of sin, that you can be good in God's eyes. If you look to yourself, it only leads to death. This is what unrepentance looks like. Not being sorry for your sins and not trusting in God's Savior, His gift of righteousness. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. John the Baptist's preaching and his baptism, they all focused on that word repentance. John the Baptist's focus on repentance meant he taught that all people Jews, Gentiles, Israelites, Greeks, everybody, all people, us included, are sinful. And we are unable. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good or righteous. He also taught God's promise to take away our sinfulness was going to be the forgiveness and righteousness that would be brought by the Savior, by the promised Messiah, which is Hebrew, or Christ, which is Greek, Messiah, and Christ both meaning the anointed or the chosen one, and that is Jesus. Jesus would solve this problem of sin. John recognized his own sins, recognized his own need to repent, recognized his own need to trust in Jesus for forgiveness, which is why when Jesus comes to him and asks John to baptize him, he hesitates. So, John's reaction is recorded in our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John knew Jesus didn't need baptism. He didn't need forgiveness. He didn't need to repent for anything. But Jesus had come to him. Jesus had come to him to fulfill the will of his heavenly Father. At his baptism, that is where he would be anointed. That is where it would be revealed that he was that chosen one. Which is what we heard about, the promises we heard about in our Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 42. He wrote, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. So Jesus' ministry, his service, his work was to save us by forgiving us of our sins and by giving us righteousness. When John the Baptist hesitated to baptize Jesus, this is Jesus' reply. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So with God the Father speaking his approval from heaven of his Son, that chosen one, and with the Holy Spirit coming down on him in that visible form of a dove, it was clear this is the chosen one. This is the Messiah. In public, everybody would now know this is the Christ. And in our New Testament reading from Acts 10, Peter explains what Jesus would go on to do. And he does this at the home of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. He says, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. So again, all of this is accomplishing what had been said in Isaiah 42, the dove that comes down. God the Father saying, This is my servant, my son. This is the one I promised to send to save the world. And Peter's words to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, so not descended from Israel, further prove that Jesus was this promised Savior who had come to save all people. In Isaiah 42, it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. Jesus came to save both Jews and Gentiles. He came to free us from the captivity of sin, death, the devil, and hell. He does this with the gift of righteousness. Jesus' baptism was the will of God. And every day of Jesus' life, he kept and obeyed that will of God, even to the point where he obeyed God's will that he would suffer and die. And Jesus' death on the cross was done because of all those times where you and I did not obey God's will, where you and I were not righteous, where you and I were unrepentant, we held on to the sins that we were committing, we were not sorry for them. When knowing that they were wrong, we continued to do them and live them out. Whether through ignorance or through arrogance, we denied we were sinful or denied that our sins mattered. That is what Jesus died for on the cross, all those times where you had sinned and deserved that punishment. And so then, through his death, you have died. And so through Jesus, we are truly free from those dungeons of darkness. We are washed clean of our sins through our baptism. We are clothed with his righteousness. So that's what God sees when he looks at us, his goodness and righteousness. And so we get to live in the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus and his goodness. So when we are convicted of our sins, like John the Baptist, Jesus' baptism reveals that we, through him, were made to be like him. John hesitated to baptize Jesus because he knew his own sins and that Jesus did not have any. But Jesus came to take away our sins by becoming righteous like him. So when you are convicted of your sins, when you are well aware that you are a sinful person, the place to go is Jesus. You have peace through God through Jesus. This again was the good news that Peter got to share with Cornelius in our New Testament reading from Acts 10. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. All people are the same in God's eyes. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Cornelius was a believer. He had heard the good news about Jesus. And he trusted in his forgiveness and the peace that comes from him. And you fit this description as well as somebody who God has accepted because of faith. Because of faith, you fear God and recognize your sin. And because of your faith, you now want to do good and what is right. In other words, you are repentant. In other words, you are repentant. This is what repentance is. It is sorrow over your sin, trust in Jesus' forgiveness, and the desire then to do what is good and not fall back into sin. See, without Jesus, there cannot be repentance. Without Jesus, your life is simply a vicious cycle of, I did something wrong, now I'm going to try to do something right. That's all it is. That's all you do. You just bounce between those things all day long, all night long. That's all you do. And at the end... At the end of the day, at the end of your life, you realize you have not been truly good or right or perfect. You have not loved others. You certainly have not loved God. And so you're left. Bad, wicked, deserving of punishment. You're unfulfilled, hopeless, and you just face death and hell. There's, There's nothing. Without Jesus, there's no repentance. Without Jesus, there's no hope. But with Jesus... Repentance has its power in Jesus. True repentance, again, is, yes, I'm sorry for my sins, but I'm forgiven through Jesus. And through Jesus, I live this new life where I can do good. The Holy Spirit fills me with his faith to take hold of that righteousness of Jesus and that faith that also works in me the desire to do what is good. The life of a Christian, then, is one of constant Repentance. So there's no such thing as an unrepentant Christian. Trying to fill a cup from an empty well is impossible. Pretending an empty cup is full of water might be fun for a little while, but eventually it ends in death. You cannot survive on pretend water. And spiritually, when that pretend water is a focus on yourself and not faith in God, it ends in eternal death in hell. Water, real water, is vital for life, and it allows you to live. It keeps you alive and allows you to think and speak and act and do and carry out life. Spiritually, the waters of your baptism give you life and allow you to live. Through baptism, you are connected to your Savior Jesus, to his death and through his resurrection. And you're filled with faith from the Holy Spirit so that you now live as one of God's people. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And that day when he was baptized, when the Father spoke from heaven, when the dove came down, it was clear this is that Messiah, the Christ, the anointed, chosen one, the one and only Savior. He saved us by taking our sins and giving us righteousness. He is the guarantee then of our eternal home in heaven. So this is what it means for us every day. Practically, this is what that means. Each day we are hopeful because we know that whatever happens, even if the worst thing happens to us, even if we die, we have this wonderful home waiting for us in heaven. But it's not just that hopefulness looking at the very end of our life. We also have purpose every day of our lives as believers. Whether you are a child or an adult, whether you live in a 1,500-square-foot or 5,000-square-foot house, whether you are a student or an employee, whether you are a parent that works from home or somebody who has to travel internationally for work, you have purpose. As one of God's people, to love him and show him and give love to others and share that message with others. And two, this is what it means, that you are not swayed by the worries of this world, whether it is sickness or war or whatever society deems as good and right at that particular time and in that particular place, you're not swayed by those things. Because your identity, who you actually are, is all found in Jesus. Your identity is found in him. Your purpose is found in him. Where you are going is found in him. Which is good news because he does not change. He was the same in Isaiah's time, the same in the time of John the Baptist, and he's the same God today. Because of Jesus, because he's that chosen one, you have peace. Real, actual peace. Not this pretend peace in an empty cup, but a full cup of peace for your life because you have peace with God. who sent Jesus as that chosen one to be what you could not be, so that you could be like him. Amen. Hi, my name is Gunnar Lederman, a pastor at Divine Peace Church Rockwall in Texas. Thanks for watching the sermon. If you'd like to watch more, please follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Divine Peace Church Rockwall. Thanks and God bless.